Hello and welcome to Stuff That Interests Me with me, Dominic Frisbee. And today it is my pleasure to welcome to the show a very rich man. He is one of Britain's most successful uh, investors. He's an entrepreneur. He's also a philanthropist. He's also an author. Um, Jim Mellon, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dominic. Now, Jim, one of the secrets of your success, I think it's fair to say, is that you find investment trends, investment themes, early and then you ride them is, is, is that would you is that this kind of secret or one of your secrets of, of your success well I've found some investment trends that have gone the wrong way I can tell you that <laughs> but um, uh, generally speaking what I'm looking for is something relatively simple uh, I don't necessarily want to be the first mover and often I'm not the first mover um, but something that through reading is going I've developed a concept of that uh, and I become more knowledgeable than the average investor in, and uh, I meet the right people uh, involved in that particular field, and that I call a money fountain, so a big idea translating to a money fountain. And uh, in the last, say, 20 years, I've had two or three of those. One was uh, in German property, which has been a very good investment for us, and we still have that, Uh, trying to work out what to do with it, to be quite honest. And secondly, in mining, where my partner and I, Stephen Detells, uh, rode the uranium boom in the uh, early 2000s, or mid-2000s, to mm-hmm. be honest. And, uh, and then, latterly, biotech, which has now morphed into this concept of juvenescence, which is the science of longevity. Well, that's, that's what we'll talk about now, because this, the next big trend that you've identified, and you've written a book about it, is, is longevity. And, and your book is called Juvenescence. So... I guess the the place to start, the longest person who ever lived, I understand, and lived to the age of 122. And one of the things you, you suggest in the book is that before long, most the, the average person in the developed world will live to 110. That's correct. So within 20 years, we've come to the conclusion, that is Al Chalabi and myself, my longstanding co-author, that the average life expectancy in the developed world, and of course the developing world is catching up in terms of life expectancy as well, notwithstanding short-term interruptions such as we have today in the UK or the United States, will rise to 110 to 120. Now, put that in context, my friend Andrew Scott, who wrote the book The 100-Year Life, which was published last year, which is more of a sort of societal impact book than the one that we've written, says, he makes a very good analogy, he says, right, Dominic, uh, as an example, this will mean instead of getting up in the morning and having 24 hours ahead of you, you'll get up in the morning and have 36 hours ahead of you. So for the difference between 82 to 85, which is the current life expectancy, 110 to 120 is that great. And what are we going to do with all that time? How are we going to manage the trajectory of our lives versus what we think of as a trajectory today? Uh, And what are the economic impacts of of that? And that's what the book is about. It's super exciting science for me, and I think it'll occupy, I don't think I need any other uh, big ideas, because this will be the biggest industry on the planet. I'm absolutely certain of it. And uh, the there'll biggest, be many opportunities yeah, within it. The biggest industry on the planet. That, that's, a, that's a huge statement. And as just hearing you talk, there's so many ideas um, going through my head. But I, I suppose the place to start is, why are we going to live longer? Well, uh, science is catching up with the aspiration of an ultra-long life for the first time. People 50 years ago were writing about, I can make you live to 100, or if you do, to follow my formula, uh, or or let me have some money to develop my compounds, I'll I'll allow you to to live a very long life. But, of course, that was charlatanism. 
Uh, it was BS. Uh, but now, now there are actually compounds available today, compounds which are in development, and techniques which are here, but which are being developed, which will enable us to live those ultra-long lives. And if I can give, give you just a couple of examples of those. Uh, there is a drug called uh, rapamycin, which you may have heard of, which comes from... I have, because from... I read your book. Right, well, well very good. I'm, uh, you're the first person to ever read the book, apart from the people inside the company. Okay. But um, I, uh, rapamycin was discovered in Easter Island, whose name is Rapa the Nui. The statues. The statues, yeah, yeah. With the big heads. And uh, the, the local name is Rapa Nui for Easter Island. And uh, it was in the soil, and they, it was discovered in the 1970s, and it was used as a, um, a cancer drug and also as an immunosuppressant for people who are going, undergoing um, uh, bone marrow transplants, as an example, or organ transplants. And um, the, it was observed in animal models, so by animal models I mean uh, mice and rats, that uh, it had a very positive longevity effect. So in mice, for instance, they live 25% longer if they are on rapamycin, if they don't take rapamycin. Just sorry to interrupt you for a second, but we we hear figures like 25% longer, which is sort of from 80 to 110, it's sort of 25% longer. And you you kind of, 25% doesn't sound like that much, but it's an enormous amount. Actually, 80 to 110, if I'm correct, it's it's about 40%. Yeah, because it's 30 over 80 so, sorry. And there in that little uh, yeah. mathematical exchange is why Jim <laughs> no, is but a better it, investor. But I'm making the point that it's yeah. even yeah. bigger yeah. than 25%. Okay. All right. But rapamycin on its own in human beings won't add 25% to your life because in smaller animals, these treatments tend to have a proportionately larger okay. effect than they do in larger animals such as ourselves. However, Rapamycin is toxic in humans. So if I gave it to you today, it would have negative effects as well as positive effects. So they're working on something called rapalogs, which are analogs of or derivatives of rapamycin, which will be on the market in the next three, four, five years, uh, which will have uh, longevity effects. But the drug companies can't say, I'm going to make you live another 25% because they they can't hang around for the next 50 years to see whether you live another 25% or not. So they'll make other claims for it. They'll say that it will, um, you know, restore your immune system, as an example, which it does uh, in elderly people. Is is that why it it has this longevity effect, because of the immune system, or does it stop cells breaking down? Basically what it does is it it, it acts on the mTOR pathway, which is one of the key pathways of ageing. mTOR stands for mechanistic target of rapamycin. And it is one of the key pathways that regulates your potential decline into old age and senescence. And this interrupts that negative effect. uh, And it interrupts it brilliantly. But rapamycin on its own, which is here today, is only one of the elements that's going to lead to that cumulative effect of going to 110 or 120. Because aging is a multifactorial process. It's not predetermined. We're not destined to age. We're not destined to die. But it happens uh, for a variety of many reasons. Possibly 2,000 genes are implicated in aging. So taking the key genes and and, uh, manipulating them is going to be a very key part of this process. So that gets to the next stage. We've got some drugs that will work today, including rapamycin. Metformin is another one. You should be taking a mini aspirin. You probably are on a daily basis. A mini aspirin? Yeah. 
Because it thins the blood? It does, and it will cut your risk of a heart attack by 50% and your risk of a stroke by 80%. So how many, how many grams would that 75 be? 75 to 81 milligrams. And you can get it at Boots, it'll cost nothing, yeah. or very little. And uh, you take one a day. Or yeah. hmm? 20p or something, it costs, aspirin is the cheapest drug in the world. Yeah, well, but these are mini ones, they're specifically okay. designed for, they're called daily aspirins. Okay. And if you take that, uh, Dominic, it will have anti-cancer property, and it's observed in millions of people, uh, and reduce your risk of a stroke and heart attack. And that's a simple observation, right? Do you that's, take one every day? I, I do, but you must go off it one week a month, because it has potential bleeding uh, okay. effects, you know, stomach effects, basically. So yeah. just, you know, take it, uh, but three weeks of every month, basically. And what other kind of little lifestyle things are going to make us live Don't longer? smoke. 14 years off your life. 14? On average, yeah. Lung Calorie. cancer is the major cause of, well, major cancer, and lung cancer is 80% uh, smoking-related. And it, uh, cancer is the second biggest killer in the United Kingdom and in the developed world. The biggest killer being... Heart attacks? Exactly. Well, no, cardiovascular disease. Okay. Right, so strokes, heart attacks, uh, chronic heart failure, uh, atrial fibrillation, that sort of thing, basically. And uh, so 160,000 people on the planet die every day, all right? And of those, 100,000 plus die of five diseases, which are all related to aging. Cardiovascular disease, um, uh, cancer, dementia, respiratory disease and diabetes, stroke, obesity. Okay, now, um, if I live another... T- I'm 48 now. Yeah, you're halfway... Th- you're not even halfway through your life. Now, doesn't... If I make it to... Oh, really? I'm going to live to 100, based on the current projections? Oh, no, you'll live more than 100, I think. I mean, I'm talking about the life expectancy for people like you and me will be 120. For children... For, for, for us two sitting here, you're... Uh, you, I know that you're 60 years old and you look fantastic on it. Oh, thanks, Your Tommy. life expectancy is going to be 120 as well. Well, my life expectancy is, but whether I make it or not is, is you know, down to my own lifestyle, to environmental conditions like do I get killed in a, in a road mm-hmm. traffic accident or a murder or in a plague or a famine or whatever. But And your life expectancy goes up if you make it past 55 or something, doesn't it? Does, it does because your risk of a heart attack goes down. Okay. So you know, the stress factors, it's particularly in males, that cause us to have heart attacks and strokes diminish as we get, supposedly, although I feel quite stressed with this book coming out. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have a heart attack here. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, you, uh, y- y- your life expectancy goes up until about your 75, and then yeah. it kind of goes off a cliff. But that is changing. That is about to change. And, but if I live this longer life... How well is my brain going to be functioning? How well is my body going to be functioning? I mean, am I going to be like this, or am I going to be a happy, healthy, sprightly 95? Well, I think think the latter, um, because what science is trying to aim for is what they call a health span, which is basically lives lived in a healthy condition. Now, at the moment, people of 65 years old, so I've only got five years to go, normally have at least one of the five diseases that I mention. And it's a bit like whack-a-mole. If you cure one of them, you'll get another one. Okay. And uh, so if I cure you of cancer, you may well get uh, dementia. All right. And, uh, and then you just pr- get progressively worse. And that's our image of old age. We think of people in their 80s sitting in uh, a sort of plastic chair in a nursing home, dribbling away, being medicated, and just waiting to die. That image is going to go, and people will live a welderly, i.e., old age with good health life rather than elderly uh, life. And I can go through 
multiple technologies that are going to enable that. But just getting back very briefly, the two things that will take us, you and me, to 110, 120, but will take children to, who are born today to potentially 150 or 200 or whatever, are genetic engineering. Oh, easily. Genetic engineering and stem cell therapies, or regenerative medicine, basically. And uh, genetic engineering is already here. You've read about CRISPR. You, you know what CRISPR is. CRISPR is a new gene editing technique that only came out or was discovered in 2012, subject to lots of patent disputes, of course, because there's lots of money at stake. But CRISPR is already being used to edit out in embryos uh, monogenetic defects, which might lead to something like cystic fibrosis or sickle cell anemia or Duchenne muscular dystrophy, one of the orphan diseases that causes so much misery in the world. But from, uh, from an aging point of view, CRISPR, because there are 2,000 genes implicated in aging, could allow us to be re-engineered genetically uh, in the relatively near future. So this is not something that's 20 years away. This is something that's 5 to 10 years away. And then stem cells, which have been around, obviously, for a very long time in terms of potential therapeutic use, will be, are now being used in many heart attack victims with full restoration of the heart post the injection of, um, of stem cells. And they're going to be used widely, very widely in the next 10 years. And both of those factors, coupled with pharmacological intervention, coupled with lifestyle intervention, i.e. eating the right food, which more and more people are doing, um, not smoking, will lead, will add cumulatively, to that 110, 120. Meantime, the diseases of aging, cancer and heart attacks in particular, are, are going down in incidence very rapidly in, in the Western and developed world, basically. Heart attacks, cardiovascular diseases declining by 2 to 4% per year in the developed world. And cancer, as you probably know, um, and the new immunotherapies are having biblical effects in terms of uh, remission and... Uh, survival rates among cancer patients, basically. The dramatic improvements since the 1970s. So I see this is an aggregation of many things. It is. Uh, and, uh, but longer term, and as you saw in the book, it is uh, thought by some people, who are thought still to be wacky, that uh, we will go in for a kind of annual or biannual uh, restoration uh, you know, into a hospital environment or into a clinical environment where our whole tissues will be re- re- uh, re-engineered. We will be infused with factors that come from youthful blood, which people are using already, which have a very positive effect on, on older people, uh, which is why in California you're getting some uh, younger people basically b- selling their blood to effectively older Silicon Valley types. <laughs> <laughs> They're being hooked up, you know, for... Um, and uh, I bet Donald Trump's, uh, yeah. you know, has regular injections of youthful blood. I, I would, uh, looking at his wife, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, yeah, but... Right, but I mean, uh, so w- w- it gets back to what I said. Science is catching up with aspiration for the first time ever. And the first anti-aging trial of significance is just about to get underway. Do you know what that is? No. Right, so there's a man called Nir Barzilai, very famous, very eminent amazing scientist who's based at the Albert Einstein University in New York, which is a very leading um, longevity research institute. And he's got the funding together to do uh, a trial of metformin. Now, metformin is a a, a diabetic drug which came out in the early 1950s and has been used by 
hundreds of millions of people. So if you are unfortunate enough to get diabetes, the first thing they'll give you is metformin. It's a generic drug. It's, been, it's not toxic. It's uh, an amazing compound. And basically what it is, it's a glucophage. It goes around your body and takes sugar out. All right? And diabetics who take metformin live on average longer than people, healthy people without diabetes who don't take metformin, whereas the average diabetic will live eight years less than okay. the healthy people. So the formalization of this trial is underway now, and, uh, or about to go on underway, and they're looking for events. They're looking in a population of over 75 years old to see how many of them die or have a heart attack or whatever, those on metformin and those not on metformin. And although metformin carries no prospect of making any money because it's a generic drug, the fact, if it works, it validates the idea that there are compounds out there that affect longevity. It'd be the first formal trial of a longevity product, and it's it's very exciting, very exciting. Jim, we're we're coming to a close. I've got two questions that I want to ask you, or two areas I want to ask you about. And the first one is, what are the economic implications of all this? How we are we, all, is, are we going to turn into kind of Japan on steroids? or And, and, and you know, how are we going to fund our lifestyles if we're living that much longer? Well, it's, it's, it's a really important question. Now, we are, uh, at the same time as we're the first cohort to about to live ultra-long lives. And by the way, I just want to point out that in 1900, the average life expectancy in this country was 41 years. Today, it's in the early 80s. That's right. incredible. So it's not such a leap to imagine that we could live to 120 so in, in just over 100 years, we've doubled life expectancy. So w- why wouldn't we be able to, given modern technology and the unveiling of the human genome and the discovery of DNA and so forth, why wouldn't we be able to live to 120? It's not such a great leap. So um, in terms of the economic impact, well, at the moment, we are born, we learn, we earn, we burn out, uh, we retire and we expire. That's what everyone thinks that their life is That's destined the cycle. to be. That's a cycle. That life will be changed. Learning will be a continuum all the way through because of technological advancement. You know, you and I, this camera setup will be completely different in 10 years. It'll be something else. And it's a much faster rate of technological turnover than ever was before. Um, and so uh, we'll have multiple jobs. We'll have to retrain continuously. And we won't be able to retire at 65 or 68, which is the retirement age uh, for people like you and me in, in the future, given the government uh, pro- projections. It'll be 85 or 90. Furthermore, fertility is being addressed. So why is it that women get the menopause at 50 and can't reproduce post-50? It, it's, it's amazing the evolution, given that women now live to, in many cases, over 100. Why... Uh, do they live so long when their reproductive years are curtailed at the age of 50 or even before? And that's going to change. So women will have the choice of having children much later in life. Um, and uh, that trajectory, which I mentioned earlier, which we regard as established, the conventional wisdom, is going to be a completely different one. We live in a world of, of potential consumer abundance with automation. What are we going to do? We're going to have to have hobbies. We're going to go traveling a lot more, which is why I think things like Carnival Cruise Lines is probably a very good investment, or Saga, anything that caters to people who are older. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I, because people live in good health, the burden of healthcare, which is what huge, you know, 85% of healthcare in the United States is spent on the last two years of life, right? So 
because people won't be, you know, dying in an agonised hospital bed scene, so they'll just sort of get dropped dead of exhaustion at the age of 110 or 120, with possibly no prior warning, but certainly won't be disease-ridden. The burden of healthcare will go down, the burden of social care will go up, and social care will become a much more valued profession. People at the moment in social care are not highly valued, they're the lowest paid in society, but they will become the true professionals of the future, whereas the lawyers, the accountants, the doctors even, uh, will be automated. And uh, they will be the less valued professions, basically, the ones who are being automated out of existence. So human-on-human interaction is going to be much more important in the future. And children should be guided towards that sort of job or career rather than the traditional jobs of, you know, mummy and daddy's era, basically. Very interesting. Jim Mellon, I mean, how interesting has it been listening to you talk? If you want to find out about the investment implications of all of this, where to invest your money, how to make a fortune uh, from us all living longer, then you will have to read Jim and Al's book, which is called Juvenescence. Jim, why don't you give us a quick plug for the... Give me a quick plug for the book. Well, thank you, Dominic. The proceeds go to charity, to longevity charities, as it happens, uh, many of which are starved of cash, but all of which are very important to the... I think the crusade of us living longer, basically. And... um, Uh, The book is out next week, so the 25th of September. It's on Amazon. It's on the Juvenescence website. It's at Harriman House. Um, And uh, we're super excited about it. It is 440 pages. Please read it, because the first part is science-heavy, but it's important that everyone knows why they're going to live so much longer. The second is the investment implications. And the third is the factors that are going to keep you alive for the next 10 or 20 years so you can take advantage of this, uh, <laughs> of this new technology. There are also environmental implications, aren't there, as well? You know, the depletion of the world's resources and so on, is, 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 with more and more people being in the world. Well, I think, actually, juvenescence is going to lead to uh, a, a stalling in the growth of the world's population. Because at the moment, as you know, fertility rates in the developed world are Decline. below replacement yeah, in most countries. Here in the UK, we're below replacement, one8 children per woman, and it needs 2.2 children per woman to replace the population. So the only area where the population is growing rapidly is in Africa. In Asia, it's, it's stalled as well. And I think in Africa, with prosperity, you'll see a decline. You already are in some countries mm-hmm. within fertility rates. So I'm not worried about uh, too many people, but those people will be living much, much longer. Uh, and so th- those consumers in later life will be consuming very different things to Facebook and Snapchat and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. And so the new industries are the industries that cater to the older, perhaps more, uh, what's the right way of putting it? Wiser. So, wiser, yeah, or tempered people. And uh, that's why I think uh, so many industries will be upended. The life insurance industry is finished as it currently stands, all right? Uh, the medical industry is going to change dramatically. When you go to your doctor now, it's almost primitive. You know, they're still tapping your knees. Oh, yeah. um, they're still looking in your ear and all that sort of stuff, which they did in Victorian times. Every time you go to a doctor in 10 years' time, your genome will be sequenced as a matter of course. And they'll, the machine will discover what's wrong with you, not the doctor. The doctor will be like a front-of-house receptionist. So, so many things are changing in this world, but it's, I'm an optimist. I mean, I think if you can accept change, this is a brilliant period to be alive. Jim Ellen, I, I, I want to talk for hours, but we haven't got time. Jim Ellen, thank you very much. And thank you very much for, for watching and for listening. And we'll be back with more Stuff That Interests Me next week. Bum, 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 bum.